Um, it's great to be here with you this morning, celebrating the reality of Jesus. Um, what day uh, in the Christian calendar is today? Who knows? Palm Sunday, that's right. And we have been, as a community, in a march towards Easter, taking these last seven weeks looking at the week of the Passion. And as we have done so, we've taken each Sunday to look at a different day of the Passion of Christ, of that final week. And um, when we decided to do this series, I, with great intelligence, said this would be a wonderful series, but there's kind of a little bit of a hiccup because we're going to be doing a Palm Sunday sermon seven weeks before Easter, and then when we're about to get to Easter, we're going to be doing a sermon about the Saturday in between Friday and Sunday. I was the one to bring that up. I was the one then assigned those two sermons at their awkward placement. So, I have these two sermons to talk about, and as we go to um, talking about Saturday, the day in between the cross and resurrection, there, there is a, a couple of things to note. First off, Saturday is a very disorienting day. On Saturday, we are left with many more questions than we are with answers. Saturday is an empty day. So little text is given on this day. The only text we have is Pilate organizing some soldiers to guard the tomb, as well as some preparation plans for Passover or for the Sabbath. That is all that we have And as far as in the text, it's an empty day. And lastly, Saturday is a dark day. It is a day that deals with the complete shattering of expectations, the scattering of a tight-knit brotherhood and sisterhood, and the loss of an entire reality that the disciples and the followers of Jesus risked everything to believe. It's not an easy day to approach. So, as you have come in this morning and are thinking about Palm Sunday, perhaps you approached like this, excited, glad to be alive, Hosanna, raise the branches. Now you're like a little more like this, (laughs) like where are you going? And it is my job to eventually get you like this. If I've depressed you, then I've done my job. Looking at this special day that means much to me, I'm going to read for you something from Mark 14, which is a passage from two days prior, but believe it has great implications for this day, and then we will pray together. This is Jesus. He says, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords And clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Lord God, as we look into the face of questions, 
as we as a people want, want to together gather and raise the hallelujahs and be palm branching, worshiping the king, teach us also what it means to know you in the dark as we focus on what it means to live between death and resurrection, guide our time this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Before diving into the experience of the disciples, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, I want to talk about some language that I'm going to be using today to describe what I believe the disciples would be experiencing um, we're going to call this the cloud of unknowing. This is a term used by a, f- a 14th century saint, an anonymous work that was written called the cloud of unknowing, dealing with the fact of what happens when God doesn't talk, what happens before the miracle, what happens in the in-between this reality of the suffering, of the um, uh, frustration of living in the tightness of a life not yet revealed, not yet shown the the victory lap, not yet taken, the movie still halfway through. What is it like to live in the midst of this difficulty in the life of the believer? It has many titles throughout church history. The psalmist called this desert. There's a lot of desert language in the psalms talking about, God, my bones are drying up. Where have you gone? Paul talked about the thorn in the flesh, that thing which he didn't understand, why God would allow this darkness, confusion, separation, struggle. Ignatius in the 1550s talked about this using the word desolation. The dark night of the sense or the dark night of the soul is used by John of the cross. And he talks about the dark night of the soul, the wrestling of agony, of difficulty. And then also the dark night of the sense, meaning I can't see him. Where did he go? C.S. Lewis calls this the doctrine of death. John Piper uses the word suffering often to describe this experience R.C. Sproul, another contemporary, calls this spiritual depression. I believe that this cloud of unknowing, this difficult season, by whatever term we may give it, was experienced by Jonah, David, Naomi, Jesus, many disciples, Hannah, uh, Sarai, so many people throughout the scriptures and throughout church history. The cloud can look like many things. It can be a job that never seems to change. How could God be glorified in this monotony? It can be that I can never find the right person to marry, and I'm single for so long. Does God want me alone forever? It can be mental health, emotional health, family drama, disappointment, loneliness that feels uncured or unaddressed by God, sickness and physical suffering that one can't seem to shake, it seems to prevent ministry, prevent so many good things. It can make us crabby or tired. Why would God not grant health so that I could live and give the joy of the kingdom? This is experience in distance and unanswered prayer. Or just the general feeling of if things are relatively good, 
why do I feel so bad? This is a spiritual state of darkness where your previous understanding of God and his love becomes disrupted. I believe that any theology that does not make room for Holy Saturday, for the cloud of unknowing, for this suffering, is a trite view of God. But as we approach this time, we are left with some difficult things to account for. How are we doing? This is a... Um, become a very important day for me since college because this has been um, questions that I have had to wrestle through in several seasons of life. First thing, I want to talk about five characteristics of the cloud. What does it mean to live before God shows in a mighty way? What does it mean to hold on in the difficulty? What does it mean to keep going when it seems like everything has gone dark? We're going to look at this through the lens of the disciples, right? The disciples are scattered, as we saw in that passage. They have left. They have fled. There's no blog updates of real-time happening. What is going on with Jesus? Jesus behind these closed doors? What's going on with that disciple? Where did this guy run to? Where did these women go to? There's a sense of just complete scattering that's happening. Each one finding their own sense of protection. They had followed Jesus. They had taken lumps for Jesus. They had lived in poverty with Jesus. These people had left their family and friends to give all for Christ. There are women who have literally funded the ministry of Christ, giving of their own money to live this nomadic life. What happens now? Their image of what he came to do has been entirely dismantled. Their thoughts of how the future would look completely changed in one day. They had placed everything relationally, financially, vocationally, and emotionally onto this Christ. Now in the course of less than 24 hours, he's dead and gone. And we have this group of people who have not digested the fact that Sunday is coming. They have maybe heard, but that information has not caused them transformation. They have not registered what is about to happen, and they are left with questions that I think all of us would have. Were we that stupid? Was God that cruel? What happens now? Who now can pick up the pieces after the disaster when the one who always helped is laying in a tomb? And simply, and I'm sure you can resonate in your own story, Jesus, what happened? Five characteristics about the cloud. First one, devastation. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He goes on in that 1 Corinthians passage and says these two words, Your faith is futile. 
and to be pitied. That is the state of the disciple on Saturday. Uh, This means on Saturday, everything, as far as they could tell, they realized they had a useless faith, a faith that was not a victorious faith, but one that lost And in this sense of devastation, the sense of of, of everything is coming undone, there's this unraveling, right? And, And this is a human experience that I think we can connect to, that the devastation is an event or life season that marks the unraveling of that which I care most deeply about. Devastation is the combination of great pain as well as Great fear. If it's so bad right now, what might happen next? And you have those disciples scattered and fled, undoubtedly hiding in various places, thinking, are all the other disciples dead? Are they putting the rest of us on crosses? What happens in trying to reconnect with people? I hear something about Judas and being hung or or hung himself. I didn't quite catch the whole thing. What do I do? Where do I go? Not only is this bad, but it's a feeling of it only is going to get worse. In, In some of my seasons, probably one of my darkest seasons of my life with God. Because, right, it's hard to have a dark moment with God because you're like, Wait a second, this is where I found light, and I don't know where else to go. In one of those moments, I remember journaling to Christ and just filling journals with a lot of, Jesus, what happened? And uh, I remember journaling these words, please. Well, in first, when I was journaling and going through a cloud season, a hard season, I started off, your will be done. And I pray that. And, and glorify yourself. I know you can use this. It got to a point in my life that this spiritual darkness was such, was all that I felt like I could pray is this. Please, please don't let me fall down any further. God, in his kindness, did not grant me that request. C.S. Lewis talks about this in the book, The Problem of Pain. And C.S. Lewis is one of those super smart guys who uses a lot of big words and a lot of concepts. And he in this book says, hey, I wonder what it's like for you readers reading about me talking about pain. And he says, you probably wonder as you're reading, who is this guy talking about pain? How could he have this authority? And to that question, he writes this, how does he deal with the pain? What's it like for him? He said, you need not guess, for I will tell you. This is C.S. Lewis. I am a great coward. When I think of pain, of anxiety that gnaws like fire and loneliness that spreads out like a desert and the heartbreaking routine of monotonous misery, it quite o'ercrows my spirit. If I knew of any way of escape, I would crawl through sewers to find it. But what is the good of telling you about my feelings? You know them already. They are the same as yours. I'm not arguing that pain is not painful. Pain hurts, 
That is what the word means. To prove it palatable is beyond my design. The cloud of unknowing, the seasons of life where God seems gone is devastation. Deadly combination of current pain and future fear. Secondly, doubt. This is, uh, we see this so clearly in Thomas right here. He says this, Thomas, this is afterwards, this is after Saturday, but we can see the doubts that started on Friday and Saturday through what Thomas says over a week later. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the 12, was with the disciples when Jesus came. Other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where those nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I believe another way to say this is, I just can't. I just can't bring myself to belief. The trauma of what just happened has made it such that I cannot, unless I actually touch and feel, because all I can think of what I just felt and was, was overwhelmed by, unless I can touch and feel something else, something bigger, I just, I just can't believe. Yes, I saw him do many miracles before Thomas may have thought, but not this. Not to this level. Yes, I saw him come through, but I have never been faced with this level of suffering, and I'm not sure he can even handle the latest, ultimate obstacle. I want to say a couple things uh, about doubt, and simply this. It takes tremendous courage to doubt, truly Doubt is not an attractive place to be for the spiritual pilgrim. Human beings, we, we crave security. We, we long for certainty. To doubt is to unseat that core desire inside of us. I, as a pastor, have encouraged people to doubt more than I've encouraged people to blindly believe Oftentimes people are coming and they're, they're wrestling with doubt and they're saying, but, but can I doubt? And I say, Jack, you already are. Have the courage to actually be where you are saying, I don't know. It takes tremendous courage. It's easy to feel at a good time that my faith seems so certain, my faith seems so powerful, but when faith seems flimsy and God seems far away, it's dark. The God that I thought I knew in the past not coming through in the face of this new obstacle. Secondly, church is a very messy place to be when doubting. If you're here this morning and you're at a place where you're like, I am with the Kool-Aid drinkers right now. Like, what am I doing here? And, and this is confusing and they're so certain about everything. And they're, they're so, they just know all these things and these songs and these verses. And it, it, it's just so difficult to be the one who doubts. Cheap answers are disdainful and insulting when you're facing doubt. You want to punch Christian platitudes in the throat it is not easy to doubt deeply when others around you feel so convinced. 
There's a guy who came to me uh, recently. God saved him in an amazing way and uh, from, from a difficult, uh, from dying, basically. And uh, physically saved him. It was an amazing moment. And he's had so many people tell him, like, you, God has saved you. God has saved your life because he's got good things for you. And this guy just talked to me. He said, I don't know if that's true. He said, yes, my life was saved, but how do I know that that was even God? And he said, if God so wanted to save someone, why would he pick me? What about other, the other people that he didn't save? And this moment of almost death and being saved has led him to a crisis of faith, to doubt it is to feel like you've been lost and then found and then lost again. I believe this is the experience that Thomas was having, and it's a familiar one to so many people throughout church history. And I just want to say, if you're here this morning and you're in the mess of doubt, you're probably the bravest person in this room. Good for you. Good for you for even be willing to come and to ask those questions, to be in a place where there's as much trigger as there is hope. Thank you for being here. We, if, if we ever don't make room for you, that just means we're not making room for ourselves when we go through a likewise season. Third, confusion they had belief, but there were so many unanswered questions. It's such an interesting passage. This is one of the very few verses about Holy Saturday, the time between Friday and Sunday. They talked about they were preparing spices and ointments for Christ. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Right? They're, they're still tending to and taking care of the body of Christ in the tomb on Saturday. There's still this fidelity. There's still this draw. There's still this love of Christ. And also they're, they're trying to keep the command, trying to honor what they've been told. And while they don't have any answers, they're still holding on. A cloud season is not just grief. It's this deep push-pull of, I believe he's real. I believe he can. Where did he go? I believe he's awesome. I believe, I believe he's love. But how? There's this collision of, of belief and utter confusion. Does he care? What's going on? What do we do now? And all they know to do is to just keep doing what they've done and to maintain their questions in the face of this dark cloud that has descended on Friday and into Saturday. I have a dear friend. He is a faithful man of God. He is actively in a tremendously difficult season of his life. He's dealing with circumstances that honestly I look at and I say, God, I could not stand if I faced what this man is facing. Why? Why? Why this precious pilgrim facing this? 
he told me this. He said, Ben, he looked at the book of Job and throughout scripture he said, something that's interesting about being in the cloud or the suffering, dark night of the soul, whatever you want to title that, that God doesn't usually tell the sufferer why they are suffering. God never told Job what, while he suffered in the cloud why, why he was there. So much of suffering is simply the difficulty of not knowing what is going on and why this is happening. This is why I love that cloud of unknowing. It's like in a storm cloud, and you're like, I don't know where this thing begins, ends. I can't see myself straight. I can't see anything straight. And there's this confusion. Confusion is not knowing and not being told the logical answers to logical questions. Confusion is never knowing what God is up to until later. Perhaps the hardest part of the cloud experience in my own life has been the inherent and disorienting confusion that exists in it. Fourth experience we see the disciples have. Guilt. This particularly with Peter. We have this heart-wrenching Scripture, right, that happens on Thursday night and the experience undoubtedly goes for the weekend and actually Jesus later with Peter comes back and has this beautiful makeup moment and not a makeup moment as in like Jesus needed to make up for something but a, a moment of reestablishing love for Peter and, and knowing that that had never faded the whole time. But Peter, who had betrayed Christ on the night after promising, swearing, I will not, I will not, and then doing it three times according to what Christ has said, Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. If you've ever wept in guilt, it is, it is miserable to like bear the sense of, oh my goodness, what have I just done that was Peter on Thursday night, and undoubtedly a similar experience that happened when the passage read earlier, when they all deserted him and fled. In, these, in this cloud of the unknowing, in this time on Holy Saturday, between Friday and Sunday, disciples are left with asking, thinking, rethinking through the events, right? I mean, Pilate was right there, and Pilate was saying to the people, he was saying, should I really kill this guy? Should I really crucify him? He was publicly waffling in his opinion, and the whole crowd and everyone giving their answers said, crucify, crucify. Where was I to say, no, he is the Son of God. Yes, I have seen miracles. Yes, he is full love. Deserted him in that moment. Was it my fault his followers were left to ask that he was condemned because I said nothing. Or even thinking through this, man, I was with Judas the whole time. I knew that guy was slimy, you know? Like I, I knew he, he had a little extra nice clothes and money and I thought he might be skimming off the pot, but you know what, I just didn't want to get involved. I figured that's not my business, not my business. And I had that passive thought about him for a while, never addressed it with Jesus. If I had only let Jesus know, then this whole story could have been redone. Surely it was not intended this way. The story of a loving God could never include a cross. I believe this very, very much that 
when suffering any type of suffering, when going through any type of difficulty, human beings, this is something just about us, we want to understand it by determining blame. When going through this, the most native, natural response of when something goes wrong is somehow I need to find my bearings by finding out whose fault it is. Sixers game last night. Yesterday, oh my goodness, my dad and I, you know, the faithful pastors of your church are texting back and forth, I think it's his fault, I think it's his fault. We actually do have a theory, it's pretty similar, but what happened, right? As soon as the, the bad thing happens, we want to find someone to blame Usually when going through a spiritual cloud, when going through a difficulty and God seems absent, we land one of three places, anger towards God. God, where did you go? Bitterness towards the church or towards other Christians. How could they say this? How could they treat me this way? Or lastly, an anger towards self, which is really what I believe is underneath a lot of those other feelings. And that anger takes the form of guilt. Guilt is very easy to come by. Surely God did not intend a difficult season. What have I done to cause this? Why am I so bad? And lastly, haze. Uh, this I don't have a text from. This is more looking and, and imagining. I imagine that, that after the intensity of the trauma that they're facing, and if you have faced trauma in your life, you know that there's a part of it where like it, it so overwhelms you that it sort of dulls you. After the weeping, I'm guessing that on Saturday there's probably a bunch of just staring at the wall. My everything is gone. What do I have left to do now? How could I ever learn to love or care about anything again? Ignatius in the 1500s, which talks, he talks about this and calling it desolation, he says this, such as darkness of, a stole, of the soul, there's disturbance in, in it. There's disquiet from various agitations and temptations, moving to lack of confidence, without hope, without love, finding one totally slothful, tepid, sad, as if separated from one's creator and Lord. This is the blah of the cloud almost the feeling of resignation because it's so overwhelming. Very quickly, just want to say that how do we live then? How do we live between? How do we live when, when the day is dark and silent and there's, we can't hear any voice? We don't have clarity. Three things to leave you with as we think about how to live with Saturday. One, Accept your own lack of control. Oh, I hate this one. I believe this could be 90% of the calling of Holy Saturday, of, of the recognition that you cannot pull yourself out on your own. The recognition that there is no timetable. I, I was with a, a, a group of people and we were discussing the, this, these spiritual dark seasons that happen, these, these seasons of, of whether physical suffering, emotional, or whatever it is, and the cloud of where is God. And you know what he said? He said, oh yeah, that, that can last a while. And this is my teacher, he said this, he said, that can last years. It can last a decade. 
that's a long time. What he was saying is, truly, in the midst of this, you cannot pull yourself out on your own. There's no t- rushing through. Part of the cloud is not knowing the way out. Transformation often only comes within the cloud when we let go of our attachment to mastering it. We will come to experience true life when we can say in the cloud that resurrection takes care of itself. I'm staying here until it happens. This is so critical and so scary. Waiting on God is an action. The action is mostly trusting him and accepting our own lack of control of mastering these seasons on our own. Secondly, find people who have walked here before and be careful around those who haven't. There there are many people who assume that all that spiritual cloud darkness, that is way before you come to Jesus. And they'll say, once you come to Jesus, it's all joy and rainbows. And, And when you go, if you go through the season that I believe is normative in the Christian post salvation life, be very careful about people who just want to heap up positivity because it will send you into whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? As opposed to the acceptance that needs to come. Also, it's so important to have those who have gone through this before. Pastor Ralph is retiring this next week. I remember talking with him many times and basically asking the question everybody wants to ask their counselor, like, hey, Ralph, is this normal? You know, like what I'm going through? And in the darkest moments, Ralph has spoke to me, I believe this is the normal way, is to enter in and to have these times of life. God rarely uses more information in the cloud. On Saturday, we don't see the disciples pouring back through the old texts like Gandalf and Lord of the Rings, you know, like, oh, he did say this back in the day, and now I know he's going to happen tomorrow. No, they're way more disoriented than that. Information is not what leads them to transformation. Normatively, what God will use in the darkest moments of our soul is relationships with people who have seen in the dark before and who are not scared that you are there now. And just an encouragement, if you're in that season, greatest temptation we face is to hunker down and hide and and then to eventually, if it clears up, we can come out. Very simply, if you're wondering, when in doubt, reach out. When in doubt, look for people who you have seen, who have suffered before, and help them help hold your hand in the dark. And lastly, if you're re-wondering what God is like, right? You became convinced that God is so good, he is so loved, he is so powerful, but then all of a sudden, I'm not sure what or where he is. And there's a time in, in the believers and non-believers in a human life where it's just, your, your view of God is just so confused. This is what I'd say, Go to the God with skin on. John 17 says this. He says, I have, he's talking to the Father. He said, I have revealed you to them 
Because they know me, they know you. And Thomas, at another time, he said, how do we know the Father? He says, you know the Father because you know me. He and I are one. If you're wondering, what is this God like? And you're confused, and then you've got all these different texts and trying to figure out, and you're poking around the Scripture, and you're like, this is a mess. Go to the Gospels. And see what Jesus is like, because that is God. And the Gospels have the, the most simple, uh, uh, in story form, evidence of, oh yeah, that is what he is like. It is in the cloud, like all else, we are taught the depth and breadth and height and length of God's love, I believe we do not know it without the cloud. For if God's love can exist past our cloud, that's when we really believe it can take on everything. As we enter this final week, may we receive God's love in the sacrifice on Friday, the mess of confusion, doubt, haze, guilt, and devastation of Saturday, and the everlasting victory over death on Sunday. May we learn the fullness of his love that existed the entire weekend. May God be near to those of you who this is not theology. This is not theory. This is not exploring the text. This is your life right now. Um, and just to make available for you, if you are in the cloud uh, that room back there, everybody see that room back there with like the broken shingle thing? Um, that room, you can go out through this door or out through that door. It's behind that wall. It's the overflow room. We've just made available to pray. There's some people in there just say, can we pray with you? Not to find answers, not to cure problems, not to end clouds, but to simply be present as you walk in the dark, that, that's made available for you directly after this service and each of the services that we have here on Sunday morning. May God be near to the brokenhearted, the empty-hearted, the weary-hearted, even in our midst right now, that we might say with Paul, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Thanks for being here. We are dismissed.